disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, so this was a fun one. We got a chance to sit down with Congressman Thomas Massey, and we talked for about 55 minutes about the stimulus package, masks and whether they work or not, vaccines and whether they work or not, and who should get them first, and a host of other uh, crazy and ridiculous things. And it was a fun conversation, and I think you're going to enjoy every minute of it. So check it out. First, though, our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. I only talk about businesses that I believe in that I've either researched deeply or have used as a customer. And the latter is the case with Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Been a customer there for years. I used them for my kitchen and my master bath when we lived in Crestwood. They did spectacular work. Uh, Tim makes sure that he hires people with great work ethic because he has a great work ethic. And if you're a contractor or a do-it-yourselfer, they got quality, affordable cabinets in stock. Uh, there's some laminate countertops that if you know what you want, you can probably get them cut same day sometimes. And then if you're looking for the full kitchen remodel, like do it up fancy stuff, we're talking stone or solid surface countertops of any type, quartz, granite, etc. We did quartz and it was awesome. Very low maintenance, little more expensive, but way more, uh, way less maintenance, but whatever, whatever your thing, you know, if you like the granite, you can do that. You like the quartz, you like the solid surface. They got all those to choose from. And they've got three designers on staff to help you with that. George Kelly and Michelle are all standing by to help you at 6,200 hit lane or by calling 502-930-3304 or just stop by the website at LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. All right, here we go. Congressman Thomas Massey on the Disruption Zone. Buckle up. All right. So it is the congressman from the 4th District of Kentucky. What's going on, man? How are you? What's, what's going on, Leland? I'm doing okay. Yeah. Finally got back from the swamp uh, yesterday. How does it feel when you get back from the swamp, back to Kentucky? <sighs> man, it's... <laughs> It's like your iPhone's at one percent, and, <laughs> and you and you plug it into a big charging outlet. Um, it feels good to get back to uh, normalcy. the The swamp does take a lot out of you. It's a lot of hurry up and wait. Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the back rooms up there, and they keep us around to give them the imprimatur, to give the the public the illusion that Congress is up there working They'll on work, something. Yeah. When y'all but, are just sitting in your office eating pizza? Uh, it's kind of like that. <laughs> uh, do you still sleep in your office? Uh, I don't disclose where I sleep. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> hey, personal <laughs> business, man. Probably actually, sleep on the street on a park bench out on the big mall in washington i don't it's fine actually the sergeant at arms literally the sergeant at arms <laughs> called over to my office and said can you tell us where he stays because in the event of like a national emergency right, right. you know i don't know nuclear attack or something uh we want to be able to come in and and uh, take care of him <laughs> and i'm like i'm the last person <laughs> number one i i would be like the you know, the third monkey on the ramp to the ark. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the least welcome person on the ark. Right, right. And, and number two, I'll take my chances with my uh, equipment 
and stay right. mobile right. instead of holing up with the rest of them. Something tells me if all hell breaks loose and it's the zombie apocalypse, your ass ain't going to be in D.C. I want to be on the outside, <laughs> not the inside. I'm with you. <laughs> is there an arc? Is there an actual arc? <laughs> if there is, I don't want on it. Yeah. It's, uh, that's we see the movies, you know, that they, yeah. they send you guys to some deep underground location or whatever. Well, that was the whole thing on March 27th with the COVID, when the, with the COVID crisis. Yeah, they, Congress didn't want to meet. They didn't even want to show up for work. They said it was too dangerous. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> I thought there was a hole in a mountain somewhere for us. Like, yeah. if if things got really bad, isn't there some secret place we go and meet? And we, you know, even nuclear weapons can't reach us. Yeah, no, it's like. Well, Kroger's is still open, but Congress has to shut down. Right. That that did not give me confidence in terms of continuity of government. No doubt. No doubt. My my uh, Malibu liberal friend is mad at me right now because um, she sent me a text of apparently there's this story that Kirk Cameron, do you remember him? Mm-hmm. Um, he apparently had some sort of a, a party in California, uh, maskless Christmas caroling. So he went Christmas caroling in Southern California without a mask. Oh, the horror. And uh, she said, I always see him. We pass him hiking on the trail, and he never wears a mask when approaching. It's totally disrespectful. And I um, I actually just responded. I go, I don't wear a mask when I'm outside. I never wear a mask when I'm outside. And she was like, yeah, but it's respectful. And I'm like, I'm not here to be respectful of your unfounded fear. When I'm passing you on a hiking trail outside, I'm not going to give you COVID. Oh, that's ridiculous. It, it drives me nuts. We have this culture of collectivism is very unimpressive to me or unimpressive to me. I, I have uh, a story to share that I haven't shared with anybody. Okay. I uh, I have been voting without a mask for the last three weeks on the floor of the house, and uh, you know Pelosi keeps cracking down and I keep loosening up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I went in one of those downtimes, like you said, the congressman eating pizza, waiting for the bill to be released. Well, we went out to eat in in Washington D.C. and I drove my car and I took four other congressmen with me and we go into the restaurant and I realize I don't even have a mask in my pocket. And so I turned to the other congressman, I'm like, do you see anybody have an extra mask? And one of them pulled one out of his pocket and said, here, I don't know if I've worn it or not, but I've got the antibodies. (laughs) Anyways, so I throw on this used mask to go into the restaurant. And we, you know, 15 feet, it gets me 15 feet to the table where we then spend an hour without masks and then walk out. So I decided, you know what? I bet this has happened to a lot of people. So I put a poll on Twitter yesterday and only 42% of people say they have never shared a mask or would (laughs) never share a mask. Really? Yeah. So I think about, and then I started, I talked to my daughter, you know, who's goes to school and, won't say where but she was like yeah so and so needed a mask the other day i gave her one of mine that's hilarious you know and then there's the one in the car right oh yeah that that's communal yeah it's your wife's car you know your kids oh that's that mask on the dashboard uh yeah maybe the uv light has disinfected it by now and you just (laughs) throw it on it i mean this is this is why it's crazy. If the masks were going to work to stop the spread of COVID, there would be a protocol right. uh, for wearing them. There would be a specification for the particle size. And there would be common sense exemptions, right? Like if you're in a situation and there's a sign that says you must have a mask and now you're forced with the decision, okay, I don't have it in my pocket. I need to go in here 
am I going to put on somebody else's mask? And people do because that's the way the rules are written. And anyways, I just think if we were going to get serious about this. Oh, the other thing is, Leland, we fly shoulder to shoulder on airplanes right, to get right, to Congress. Right. Okay. And when we get to Congress, and by the way, those seats in those airplanes, they ain't that big, right? Right. When you get to Congress, there are 435 seats, and they're as wide as the fattest butt in Congress, right? right because right. they're not assigned seats. Right. So these like are like oversized chairs, <laughs> and we have to keep three chairs apart, three seats apart when we get to Congress. But we, flow, we fly there in seats that are half the size shoulder to shoulder. Right. And I realized why... We fly shoulder to shoulder, but when we get to the House of Representatives, we sit three seats apart. That's it's hilarious. Be it's because the plane flight is not on C-SPAN. Right. That's right. That's, there you go. That's exactly why. That's, although they tell us that the planes have this really high-end um, air ventilation system, similar to what they have at gun ranges. And um, I guess within two minutes, all of the air in the plane has been completely recycled. But you're still sitting right next to but, somebody. But here's the thing. You and I both know... Because we've we've traveled, and anybody who has traveled yeah. knows that during flu season, yeah, yeah, that you know you can be fine. You could say I haven't been sick in two years, and then you get on a plane. Yeah, and this boom. was before COVID, right? And then you and like within a day, you're like, oh, yeah, I must have got that on the plane. Yep, yeah. I, I mean, it's probably still safer than driving. Did okay. you see the? Yeah, did you see the um uh the start? There's a study out by a organization called rational ground that's trying to collect rational information about the um the, the covid virus and they did a study they started with florida and because florida has no statewide mask mandate right and mm -hmm. so they started with florida and but it does have counties that have mask mandates mm -hmm. so that was a great place to compare so they were comparing they, they calculated for population so we had same similar size populations and they went you know county by county mask or no mask mandate what they found was, believe it or not, that in the counties with a mask mandate, it was like 20 to 30 percent more cases of covid than in counties without mask mandates. So then they were like, well, maybe it's just Florida. So they went to the other states that have that same, you know, that don't have a stat, a, a, a mask mandate, but found municipalities that did. Mm -hmm. And the experiment re repeated itself. What I find interesting about that, and, and I'm not going to say definitively that masks don't work. What I'm going to say is that one of two things happen there. Either masks are not as effective as they say they are, or you get a lot more compliance from people when you ask them to do something instead of telling them to do something. Mm -hmm. And so you could have a situation where people are probably wearing their masks more where there isn't an actual mask mandate because people will make rational decisions about what best to do to protect themselves in a, in a pandemic or any other emergency. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know which it is. It could be a combination of both, but I found that interesting. I think it's hard to draw conclusions. You would need two counties side by side right. with similar demographics. Because I can tell you, just like in my own county here, people most people didn't wear masks. And then COVID got into the nursing home. And there, were over, there were like a dozen fatalities in a county that hadn't seen any fatalities. Right. And the next day you walk into Dollar General and everybody's got a mask. a mask. Yeah. So it's sort of linked. You got to, it would be hard to correct for those sort of phenomenon. Sure. Yeah. So that, you know, when you, when locally you have a lot of cases, a lot of deaths that are 
not a lot. I mean, as a percent of the population, it's still small. But locally, when you have deaths of people that people know, it's like, boom, the masks go up. The mask right. uh, compliance goes way up. Right. But it's it's just not linked. There's no what you can say is there is no evidence that they work em- empirical evidence. Right. It makes common sense to me that if somebody is sick with COVID and they're coughing and sputtering, that if they're wearing a mask, it lessens my chance of getting it from them. Mm-hmm. That makes common sense to me. Um, but what happens is if you don't wash these things every day, um, you're probably giving yourself, making yourself susceptible to a number of other infections by re-wearing the same mask without cleaning it. And like you said, there's no protocol. Um you know, I always get a kick out of the people with the face guards, but they don't have a mask on underneath of it. I'm like, what are you doing? These are airborne particles. They're going to float right around your face guard and into here's, your your mouth and nose. So here's here's another thing that I think about. Uh, it's st- it's going to stick to your hair, right? This virus yeah, is floating yeah. everywhere. It's going to stick clothes. to your clothes and hair. Remember in the days when there was actually smoking in restaurants and bars, right? Right. And if you there was a restaurant in, in actually ironically. Uh, in Massachusetts that I love to go to, but they would smoke there. And when you, you know, the next day you'd wake up and you had it in your hair and on your jacket and you know, you went to eat at that restaurant. Right. And those are particles that are bigger than the virus. Right. Right. And, um, you know, then your pillow smells like smoke. People just aren't thinking clearly about how this thing, yeah, you could cover your mouth, but then it's going to get into your eyes or get on your hair and then you're going to roll around on a pillow all night yeah. And, and don't tell me you're not going to yeah. inhale some of whatever was stuck to your hair. So. Did you see the Boston University doctor who did a study of 190,000 people and found that uh, having adequate levels of vitamin D in your body lowers your risk of catching COVID by 54%? That's totally believable, and you'll get banned from Facebook for repeating Well, that. I have been banned for Facebook. <laughs> uh, for, as you know, I've yes. been banned from Facebook for repeating that. Um and what's interesting is, and, and this is anecdotal, um, it's totally anecdotal, and again, I'm, I understand that this pandemic rages on and I could come down with it, but I have, um, you know, I've cut out all the sugar and processed carbs from my diet. I have for years. I, that's been my way of living and eating. I've always taken supplemental vitamin D. I spend a lot of time outside. I've been taking more vitamin D and zinc, that combination. And in my day job, I speak to about 100 people a week. Uh, in a speaking setting and I have either never had it or I was one of the ones that had it and never knew I had it I think Um, you're I'm just wild guess I think you're in the latter category probably and Rand told me Senator Paul told me that he's one of those who would if he hadn't got the test he would have never known he had it. never known he had it yeah yeah Yeah. I mean it's I, I know that at one point my wife and I did quarantine ourselves because she was exposed at work she had sat and this, we both have the same diet and the same progress, you know, uh, the same vitamin D regimen. She was sitting across from her boss who got it all day long at a table. Uh, they ate lunch together for with for an hour, hour and a half at a three foot wide pub table, mm-hmm. close quarters. The next day he was diagnosed with it. She never showed a sign or symptom. We just quarantined ourselves. Like, I can't, I'm not going to speak to somebody if I've been exposed to it. Uh, so we quarantined ourselves, you know, just just to make sure. Uh, and the 
for 14 days. Never, uh, never a sign or symptom among the two of us. So my thinking is maybe we got it then and didn't know we had it or the vitamin D buffered us from it. I don't know. And, 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 and you know, anything can happen. This is a nasty virus. There's no question it's a nasty virus. So I'm not saying I'm not going to get it. In fact, I think we're all going to get it. It's just going to be a matter of how severe is it for you. I and think- there's ways you can mitigate that. Uh, by the way, going and getting an antibody test and, and testing negative doesn't prove that you've never had it. Mm. Because just to update you, I think we spoke earlier yep. uh, and I revealed that I had the antibodies right. in uh, late July, early August, three times the level that would be considered a robust response. Right. And I suspected it was due to a case that I had in January. Right. Okay. Well, I got retested in November. And they said, I don't have the antibodies now. But now, I bet you're still immune to it. Oh, yeah. I'm certain I am. Right. And uh, I can't prove it, but I think there's a, a high probability that I am. But what I'm saying is this should be interesting to people who think they could get an antibody test uh, next year to know if they ever had COVID in 2020. Right. What I would recommend, and I'm not a doctor, okay, but is to take the antibody test every two months and my daughter called it her scratch and win ticket she was taking them every two months and she finally tested positive for antibodies Ah. never never had a symptom wow and then her husband came down with it she quarantined with him just just she never got it so the antibodies did work right Uh, and just for just for curiosity, she went and got tested while she was quarantined with him to see if maybe some of the dead virus would show up right. on her, and it never did. She didn't test positive, even though she was in close contact with him the whole time. But here's the reason I'm telling you, you may want to buy your scratch and win ticket every two months to know if you've had it, is I've studied the data. In fact, I made a phone call to CDC. This might be interesting to you. I've never told anybody else this yet. Oh, I can't wait. Uh the the CDC on their website said that in so this is when they approved the Pfizer vaccine. Okay, the FDA did, and then the CDC put out a two or three page document, and it and the CDC document said that in fact the the uh, the vaccine was f- effective for people. It was ninety two percent plus effective, regardless of age race, gender, or prior evidence of a COVID infection. And that last statement mm. seemed really, Weird. really hard to prove. I thought, wait, did they have subjects in the vaccine trials who had COVID prior? Well, it turns, out, it turns out they did. They, they didn't seek them out, but they had 1,300 people out of 40,000 in their trial who either exhibited antibodies or had had COVID in the past. And they went ahead and and entered the trial and half of them, roughly half of them took the placebo and half of them got the vaccine. Uh, After the first shot, there were, uh, because it's a two shot regimen, right? After the first shot of the 600 or so in the vaccine group, 10 of them got COVID actually contracted COVID of the 600 or so in the placebo group, nine of them contracted COVID. Okay. Okay. So uh, you were actually more likely 
to get now it's statistically insignificant right but you are more likely to get covid according with to the, the vaccine data, with the vaccine as opposed to the placebo now after a second shot after you got your second shot there was one in each category there was one person in the in the placebo group who was reinfected and there was one person in the vaccine group so basically here's what about reinfection reinfections or infections reinfections because what we're presuming is those those people had it before they got into the trial okay. before they got so into the, the trial. people who had it before they got into the trial were more likely statistically and significantly but more likely to get the vaccine again had get, get the virus got, again or get yeah. the virus again but, if they had the vaccine but the it first was shot. It, yeah, St statistically insignificant to say that you're more likely or, uh, to get it if you get the vaccine. But what it what it showed absolutely is there was no benefit, no benefit for then, those who have had it, for those who have had it. OK, now, for those who have not had it, how can we be sure there is a benefit from your perspective? Um, well, what they tested for was whether uh, was symptomatic covid and so what the data does show is that you're much 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 less likely to get symptomatic covid if you get the vaccine if you get the vaccine they okay. did not test for asymptomatic spreaders okay so that this is why they're telling you you still have to wear a mask if you get the vaccine so it's like they, it's it's kind of almost like souped up vitamin d and zinc you, you got a much less chance of getting it in a way that is um that you feel it Right, they're not even saying you're you're less likely to get it. But isn't that convenient for them if they want us all to have to get the vaccine because they can say, well, if you didn't get the vaccine, you could still spread it. Or it wait is, a minute, no, no, I'm sorry. It's convenient if they want us to keep wearing masks and right. be locked down a, because they can say, well, it doesn't matter that you got vaccinated; you could still give it to somebody else. Correct. It's it's mighty convenient <sighs> if that's their goal. But let me close out this story. So I called up the CDC. And I talked to, um, I mean, I don't want to say who I talked to, but I talked to somebody really high up in the CDC. I'm a okay. congressman. I call the CDC. Get right. me so-and-so on the line. I think there's a typo. <laughs> I was trying to be polite. And uh, they said, well, we'll look into it. And then they called me back with an expert, a medical expert who had helped draft that document that said there was a benefit. And they said, you're absolutely right. We don't know how we missed this. We don't know how this made it into the document. We'll take it out. We'll what was the typo it. again? The, the, the typo, I'm making air quotes with my fingers here. The typo was their sentence that said the vaccine was 92% efficacious if you had already had COVID. It was 92% effective at keeping you from catching COVID. If you already had it. Which... If you already had it. Which is... The data doesn't not just show that. The data shows something otherwise. Right. And they and I showed them the page numbers, and they looked at it, and they came back, and they said, you're right. We'll issue an errata, uh, which is like a correction. Uh, and this is why it's so fundamentally important, Leland. There are a limited number of these vaccines. And they, they should go, first of all, only to people who want them. Nobody right. should be forced to right. take I this. Right, I agree. Yeah. But they should go to the people who are most vulnerable or the people who are on the front line. I think they should go to all y'all politicians first. And then if y'all start growing oh, third hey. arms out of your head, then we know. that You know what? Because y'all are expendable, in my opinion. Hey, the politicians, 
the politicians were the first ones in line. Yeah, I don't I know, know if right? you, if you missed that. last week. Everybody wanted their picture <laughs> taking the vaccine. I said, I mean, these people. A lot of these people have one foot in the grave and one on a banana peel, right? <laughs> and and they're they're literally can't, they literally can't wait to get this vaccine. Yeah. I tweeted this morning. I'll probably get in trouble for it. I said, imagine if we could have kept. Uh, Imagine if we could have made balancing the budget a condition of getting the vaccine oh. if you're a politician. Oh. Hashtag oh. problem solved. Right. Like these people are, are so self-interested yeah. and, and so terrified of this virus because they're, many of them are the ones distributing the fear porn yeah. that they've got to have this vaccine. And so they've already taken it last week. Every congressman that wanted it, every senator that wanted it. So how did they get in line first? I mean, I know the ruse they're they're putting on is uh, the media shows them getting it, and that's to put us all at ease. But in reality, they're just trying to get it because they want it. They got the – they got somebody who's not elected – not, like the House physician and the sergeant at arms and somebody else who's responsible for continuity of government. They basically, the people that work for them, they paid them to write something that says, you guys need to get it first because it's essential for continuity of government. <laughs> Which, by the way, I'm not going to argue with that. That's, I'm not going to argue with yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, I would argue with the the fact, that the statement that they're essential. Right. But, but if we are the ones who are going to, uh, you know, and, and this is a hard thing to believe, but if we're the ones who are going to write the legislation that's going to save the planet, right? then, you know, maybe we should be taking extra precautions. But I want to I want to walk you back to March 27th, the day that I went to Congress and and demanded a, a vote and demanded people show up to pass a bill. Right. Nobody had a mask on that day. Yeah. Why did they not wear a mask? You know, we've like coronavirus. But they were yes, sure mad at you for making them come in. The the coronavirus. This is a new type of coronavirus, mm-hmm. but it's the same shape. It's the same size as all the other coronaviruses. It's spread the same way, and we just magically decided that masks now work after deciding they didn't work. Right. So, um, that, the new strain of coronavirus is rather interesting. Um some of the media doing backflips to scare us all with this, but it's what, it, what's interesting when you look at the actual data on the new strain that's in London, um, it's doing what viruses do. Viruses don't have a vested interest in killing you. They don't, and I know it's weird, right, but when right. you think about what a virus does, it wants to live. And in order to live, it's a parasite. It has to live off your body. Mm-hmm. And so it can't kill you if it wants to continue on. And so what happens is with viruses, oftentimes the first initial a uh, blast of the virus is very, very lethal, you know, just historically because the body's trying to get used to it. And then there's this sort of symbiotic relationship that develops, which is why not as many people die of the flu as did in the Spanish flu situation, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. like ultimately the virus kind of settles down a little bit, and that's what appears to be happening. It's less symptomatic and it's nowhere near as lethal. But yeah. yet we're supposed to be scared of it because it spreads faster. Even the ones that make you sick enough to stay home are at a disadvantage to the viruses that don't make you sick and let you go on with your life. So one of the the theories, and it's not just a theory, I think, but it's like you said, sometimes you get a mutation that outruns the, the more uh, symptomatic version. Right. 
and basically it's a nature's free vaccine. Right. Um, and that can happen. And isn't that why H1N1 died out? Like it, it, it killed 10% of the people that infected. So it was much more lethal. It just, it moved. Was it that? It, oh no, no, I'm sorry. I, I had that wrong. No. It was backwards. It, it did not spread as quickly, which mm -hmm. is why nobody panicked. But, but uh, the, the death rate was 10%. You had a one in 10% chance, one in 10 chance of dying. If you got, I don't know if it was, it was it H1N1 or was it the which one? There's was MERS. There was the SARS-CoV-1. Yeah. One of the one of the ones that happened about 10, 15 years ago was like yeah. that. Yeah. So all right, let's talk about the stimulus package. Yes, I love. You this. voted for it, didn't you? <laughs> oh, come on! I'm sorry, Leland. You didn't vote to give me six hundred dollars. Oh, there was much more than that in this bill. Uh, <sighs> I did not vote for the bill. I did not vote for the rule that allowed them to shove this down our throats without 72 hours to read it either wow because see people are like why don't you have time to read this bill and and they're actually shocked to find out there's a rule in congress that we are we must be given 72 hours to read a bill mm. but the problem is a majority of congressmen vote to suspend that rule and then we none of us have time to read the bill but in the short time we had, you know, that we had to read the bill, we control f it. We control f it. Now, control F is on your computer, and you are trying to find certain words right. in a document. Right. We've worn those buttons out on our computers in my office because you can't start from the front and read to the back a 5,500-page bill. Mm -hmm. You have to search it. Why has it become like that? Why why have bills become that big? I think I, I'm just kind of laughing at this one because for the first time that I've been in Congress, they created a bill that was so big it collapsed on them. Uh, by that, I mean there's public backlash on this bill. They got too cute by a half. Right. Let me tell you what they do. So we all know the omnibus bill is supposed to be 12 different bills. There's 12 different spending bills that are combined together. Right. And one of those bills has a pay increase for the soldiers. Okay, so if you vote against the, you know, three thousand page omnibus bill, they'll come at, they'll come at you in your next election and say you voted against right. the pay increase for soldiers. Right. You hate veterans. Yeah. Right. So um, they're they've always been doing that, and I, and that's I think a tactic to make you vote for stuff you don't want to vote for, and to hide. Uh, things that are in the bill and to keep congressmen from being accountable to their constituents you can go to a town hall and they can get mad at you and you could say well it was either this or shut down the government and so i was the adult in the room so i voted for the 12 bills in one well this was really this uh, this bill that we voted on day before yesterday was like 24 bills in one hmm. jeez it had the 12 spending bills it had the PPP program for COVID. It had the checks for COVID. It had unemployment for COVID. It had rent rental assistance for COVID. It had a uh, it had some kind of copyright bill in it too. <laughs> like things things that aren't even related to spending were in this bill, and they thought they were being cute. The by they I mean the leadership in Congress. They thought if we create the biggest bill that anybody has ever seen that's got literally all aspects of government in it how can how can congressmen vote against it <laughs> right 
They'll get chewed up and spit out by their constituents for voting against it. Well, here's what here's the problem, Leland. What the American public wanted was was some kind of COVID response bill, right? And that's what, it. We, yeah. we we didn't ask for 130 million dollars for Burma, right? Or 700 million for Sudan, or 10 million dollars for gender programs in Pakistan. Because all in, of those things were in it. Who put in the my favorite? I hope you guys keep this in there, just because I just want to see it in there. But apparently, somebody's really concerned about how stupid Americans are keeping their full lawnmower gas cans close to open flames. So there's like money in there to educate us not to do that. Can we keep that in? That seems like a really big issue in America. There's a there's a <laughs> better than that. This may be related. Uh, it's a statement on the reincarnation of the Dalai Lama and the position, like the United States government has taken a position on these reincarnation. Uh, in this that, bill. Yeah, in this bill. We're not going to recognize the Chinese, like the Chinese want to say who the new Dalai Lama is when it's when he's reincarnated. Anyways, <laughs> it's that's in this bill. Okay. Well, all right, so here's why this bill is, why I'm sort of chuckling and why I'm really happy because nothing's going to get fixed in in Washington DC until the process gets fixed. Right. And they and they abused it so bad this time that the president doesn't even like his own bill. Right. Look, it right. was the president came out with 4 minutes and he sounded like Rand Paul. Right. Like I mean, he was going through and calling out all the junk in this bill and all the foreign aid. Well, guess what? Treasury Secretary Mnuchin is the one who was negotiating Right. The, the COVID bill. Right. The and COVID it's, part. Yeah. And it's all attached. Okay. People are out there today doing damage control saying these were separate bills. No, they're not. They are not. It's one. We voted on it together. Now, they may have started separately, but and but they got combined into one bill. Right. And and I think it's great because the backlash from the public. But, but here's the other thing. I have people, like literally somebody said, I can't. I don't know what the exact number for NASA is, but they're like, "Why is there fifty billion dollars for NASA in my COVID bill? Why is there fifty billion dollars for NASA?" It's like, well, because that's the NASA bill in right. the COVID bill. In the COVID bill, yeah, it's not that they snuck fifty billion dollars for NASA uh, into an emergency relief. They snuck NASA into it. Right. Okay. It's not an emergency fund for NASA. It's NASA's funding. Right. So they've stuck it all together. I I joked with Tulsi Gabbard the other day. I said, you know, eventually we're all just going to show up for a two-year term and we're going to we're all going to vote on one bill that's got everything in it at right. the beginning. Right. And then we'll just take two years and name post offices. Like that's what <laughs> you know, on the current trajectory, that is what Congress will become. That's insane. But what it's done, Leland, is it's caused everybody here you know so some of my colleagues who voted for that, they're they're out there saying, wait, 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 wait. No, no. The $700 million for Sudan was part of the omnibus. It wasn't part of the COVID bill. Right. And then people are like, well, why do you got $700 billion, million for Sudan in the omnibus? Right. Right? right. I, that doesn't give me any comfort that you're wasting it in a different section of the bill. Wow. Uh, Congressman Thomas Massey, um, let's talk about the payments. So the president, he gave his speech, and he wants $2,000 per person, 4,000 mm-hmm. couples, uh, however many kids you have. Uh, those could be some pretty seriously big payments. That's bigger than the first round of stimulus. Um, 
I, I admit openly that I'm a hypocrite on this because I, I, I feel like the government put us in this position, so I'm actually supportive of the government having to pay people a little bit of money right here. But I'm also against it because, for one thing, uh, the states that are actually shutting down economies aren't being held accountable with this. And for another thing, um, I'm blessed right now, and I don't need $600. So give my $600 to somebody who needs it. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, yeah. I, I mean, believe me, if the government sends me a check, I'm cashing it because they're going to get it from me eventually anyway. But the point I'm making is I'm torn on this because the government put us in this position. They put, it's not, it's not as if people were lazy and didn't go to work and then they got fired. They got fired because the government encouraged state governments to shut their states down and shut their economies down. Right. And by the way, I, I've uh, stopped to get a pizza in Washington, D.C. at a pizza place. And the guy said, that who runs the shop, like I got to talking to the owner, and he said, you know, I feel kind of bad. My business has never been this good before. Right. Like, it's not affected everybody equally. Right. Okay. So when you when but the guy who runs the pizza shop got a got a stimulus check. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we're take we're not distributing the money rationally. Right. But you know Trump's asked for a two thousand dollars for every person up to four thousand per couple. Right. right? I guess he's not going to give the kids two thousand dollars. I don't know how it works out. Oh. But let's but let's say there were going to be there's two hundred million people. Out of the three hundred million in the United States, to get a who are, are going to get two thousand dollar check, that's that's uh, times two thousand dollars. That's four hundred billion dollars. Yeah, that's that's so, more than double the size of the six hundred dollar check. So yeah, yeah, but but my point is four hundred billion. That's less than half of the nine hundred billion bill we just passed. Right. That has the six hundred dollar check in it. Right. 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 So the question is, where's the other money going? Well, you got to give the PPP. You got to loan businesses money that are do now. You? Well, I'm do saying you? no. I'm saying if you're passing this bill, you have to do that in order to. Um, here's here's how I would break it down. I would let this is what I want you to comment on because if you're going to do this, and I, I guess I'm curious if you would be supportive if it went this way. If you said, "All right, guys, here's the deal: um, states that keep their economies closed, your people don't get these money. Open your economy, and your people get this payment." This is this is it. Now, let's get back to work. And here's the protocol, whatever. Da, 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 da. Let's open up businesses. Let's go. Um, I would be supportive of loans to businesses who have been damaged by their local governments or their state governments, you know, shutting down their business and then giving people who've had to lose their lose their jobs, people who have lost their jobs as a result of COVID, giving them a payment and then saying, all right, let's get back to work now. But there's no way to get a bill that just does that. Would you be supportive of a bill that just did that? You know, I've thought about what I would be supportive of. If, if from the beginning, and, and we it can, should include tax incentives and tax holidays going forward for a while. By, by if, the way, if uh, well, let's talk about tax holiday. Remind me to talk about the FICA tax if you have time to get to it. Mm -hmm. But if from the beginning, if from the beginning we had said, and we could still do this. Um, if you catch COVID, we're going to create a national program where we will compensate you for a month to just stay home. Okay. And that is going to be the bulk of our program. Okay. Now, there'll be a Manhattan Project 
on trying to figure out how this virus spreads, how to mitigate the spread, and right. how to treat it and what the vaccine could look like. Right. Okay, Manhattan Project for that, which should have been maybe, I mean, $500 billion. Right. But we should have taken like Sandia National Labs. Every lab, laboratory where there's a Ph.D. being paid by the government, should, we should have said, look, we're going to suspend your work on this as long as it's not a supersonic missile. Okay, We're going to suspend your work on that, and you're going to work on COVID. I don't care if you're a mechanical engineer. There's mechanical problems here, too. So, like with the mask. So we should have done a Manhattan Project, and then we could have set up this compensation fund. It's one month. Right. We're going we're gonna... <laughs> to... Basically, you're pausing everything for a month, giving people enough money to survive and businesses enough no, money to survive. No, 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 no. This is very different from pausing everything for a month. Oh, okay. Let the world keep spinning. Okay. Let everything go on normally. And if you have reason to believe you have COVID, you take your month when you need your month. Oh, okay. I got you. No, I got you. Okay. If it's in August. Oh, you made it to August. Now you got COVID. You know what? It's in the national interests for us to pay you to stay home that month. Right. And everybody's business goes on as normal. All the restaurants go on as normal. The schools stay open as normal. We protect the nursing homes more so than we have. Right. This... This would have turned out much better. Now, the one thing I, I'll I'll tell you that probably wouldn't happen: the stock market probably wouldn't have doubled under my plan, <laughs> right? Which is what it's done under this plan, right? That which we're tells operating you something. Under. Tells you something. Yeah, it should look. By the way, because I think I don't think we should have I mean, ever shut down businesses. No, 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 no. And and the testing has been, uh, it's we're still in the stone ages on the testing, right? Like. Somebody, somebody posted the other day, and I, and I uh, this caused me to think too. Why do you have to stick that swab four inches into my sinus cavity to detect a virus that can be spread in the air six feet away? That's a really good point. And I said back in the beginning, what we need is something like a breathalyzer. Right. Every morning, you know, you puff into that thing, and it tells you the likelihood or that you're spreading COVID. Right. How much you might be spreading if you're spreading it all, and um, instead of assuming that everybody on the planet has COVID, whether they've had the vaccine, whether they've had COVID and recovered, we the our public policy still assumes. This tells you how crappy our testing is. Still assumes that everybody is a spreader. Right. That that's ridiculous. Like as as soon as somebody, let's say a school teacher, got COVID and recovered. That's somebody that needs to go back to work. Yep. In yeah. a school that's open. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. And that's another thing. I, it's, I'm I'm sorry. I'm on a roll here, but why are we funding brick and mortar schools in third world countries when our own kids, a lot of them, aren't even going to brick and mortar schools at this point? Right. Yeah. It's a good question. Um. Kim, let's talk about why it matters that the government keeps spending this money. I feel like we've skipped a lot of lessons in economics and there is this overriding idea that the federal government could just print money whenever it needs to give it out as it needs to. And that that's not somehow going to, I, I want to put this in terms, maybe some people will understand when the government prints a dollar, it steals part of your personal agency because it's devaluing your labor. And I don't think people realize that every dollar the federal government prints that's not backed by something devalues 
every hour of labor that you and I put in. And you don't see it right away, which is why the government doesn't get blamed right away. But you see it over time. I mean, this I'm, I guess I'm just trying to drive point drive home the point that this is very dangerous. Uh, well, you know, let's say take the three trillion dollar number, which right. is what we spent this summer, roughly. And we're going to spend another three trillion. But let's say that the three trillion dollar number divided by 300 million people, that's ten thousand dollars a person that we spent it be above and beyond what we were going to spend. If you've got a t- family of four, that's forty thousand dollars. You, because we're not going to tax you on that, because we are distributing money, we've basically caused $40,000 of deflation for you. We're, we're robbing you of that somehow. We're going to get it back. Wow. Yeah. This stock market is, has taken off and Bitcoin has taken off because people are fleeing cash. Right. If you had cash, you're trying to get it into an asset. Uh, land values are going up. People are building houses. Lumber is the price of lumber has gone through the roof. People are trying to get into material assets because cash is being destroyed right now. Right. And even in even immaterial assets like Bitcoin ha, are going to hold value better than cash. And that what, puts us in a very bad position because as soon as the U.S. dollar stops being the currency of choice of the world, we're done. We're shortly done. <laughs> Right. Right. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's that's, that's why that's important. And it's like, you know, people just think that we oh, just keep printing the money. I I wish I wish I could run my business and my home the way the government does. Like, oh, hun, looks like we're short the mortgage this month. I'll just print a couple thousand. Here we go. You you know what I mean? It's like I'll just put it on the printer. No biggie. Think about this. So we were roughly twenty four trillion dollars in debt when when this all started. And this summer we spent, we added another 10% to that. We're about to add another 10% to that. $24 trillion is the total accumulated debt of our country since its inception. To over, you know, about 250 years. It, co- it took us t- 250 years to accumulate $24 trillion of debt. Right. We added 10% to that this summer. Right. And we added, we're adding another ten percent to that this December. Jeez, we're like, what? What should take decades to do, or a decade to do? We are now doing every six months. And it would be fine if we truly were saving the world, but we're not doing this in a, a fashion that is uh, efficient. And so this money is leaking all over the place, going to these projects that enriches lobbyists. I think that's what makes most Americans so angry. And it's doing. It's going to devastate the middle class. Yes. Uh, the the rich can afford to reallocate assets and right. and get into other vehicles, investment vehicles. Yep. And you and I are, can't. We can't. Right. And and also your social security, they're not going to go in and readjust your social security for this kind of inflation. Right. That's happening. Right. Oof, scary stuff. All right. Before I let you go, because I know you got to run. Um, let's talk about media, big tech censorship. Um. I'm I'm kind of coming around, and you know that I lean libertarian. I'm independent, yep, yep. but lean libertarian. But I'm kind of coming around to the place where I feel like, first of all, I think the calls to end Section 230 mm-hmm. are misguided. But you can tell me if I'm wrong, because was I I went and read Section 230, and what Section 230 does is it absolves big tech 
from the responsibility of what people say on their forums. So I feel like the president has this backwards because when he says remove 230, no, we don't want the big tech companies to be responsible for what other people say. We want them to stop censoring what other people say. And what they're acting now is if they are responsible, but they're only acting as if they're responsible to one side of the political aisle, right? I mean, did you make, does that make sense or am I wrong? I is there something in 230 that I'm missing? Uh, I've come around to where you're coming around to. Okay. And let me be clear. I don't want the government to regulate the internet. Right. If, if you think we can set up a, a panel, you know, like let's say the FCC. Right. That's going to be two Republicans and two Democrats and one independent. And then it's gonna, they're going to hire some people that will do this on a day-to-day -day basis. The people they hire are going to be all liberals. Right. Look at Washington, D.C. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter who's in charge. The bureaucrats are all liberals. Yeah. They're all liberals. 96%. Let me make some room for the 4%. <laughs> okay. They're, so I don't want to set up a, a, a commission that hires another ver, another segment of the deep state right. that then regulates what's going on on the Internet. And I'm also reluctant, very reluctant, to uh, get on the antitrust bandwagon and say, we're going to punish people who were successful and grew very large. Right. Okay. I'm reluctant to do that. But on the 230 issue, or just let's, let's just say liability immunity in general, I don't know why they should get special liability immunity for things that they are editing. Right. That's that's my point is like Section 230 gives them my reading of it was it gives them no liability for something someone else says. But now they're going in and they're editing what someone else says. And when they do that, that changes everything because by so doing, they're now taking responsibility for what everyone says. So, so for instance, in your case, let's say you were on Facebook and you said, get plenty of vitamin D, get your vitamin C. Right. And I got kicked off. And, and you got kicked off. What's their liability? I mean, you were trying to help people. Right. Okay. And nothing if, I said was wrong. Nothing you, I said was untrue. If you got on there and said, drink bleach. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. The question is, if they want to start deciding if bleach or vitamin D or, or anything, right? If they want to start adjudicating what the valid cures or treatments are for a disease, then they're going to, and I think they have opened themselves up to liability. See, that's, that's my point. I think rather than regulate, we need to deregulate. But there is some regulation involved, meaning say, say to the big tech companies, look, if the product you're offering the public is an open forum, like imagine if AT&T started docking people's phone calls because they didn't like what they were saying to their grandma, mm -hmm. right? So in a sense, it's almost like a quasi-utility. But I wouldn't want to go all the way that far because that does give the government too much control over them. So what I would say is manage it like maybe like we manage the phone companies in the sense that it's like, all right. If you start editing what people say, if you if you start censoring what people say, then you are liable for everything everybody says. So don't censor because the product you offer the public is a public forum, which when we talk about the size of these companies, they are so big now that they now are the modern digital version of the town square. So whether we like it or not, influence is had in those mediums because of what those mediums offer to the discussion nationwide. Therefore... 
it's like a combination of regulation and deregulating. It's basically, we're going to regulate you if you try to censor people. If you don't, then we don't hold you responsible for what those people say. We'll go hold them responsible for what they said, which and is how the, it ought to work. And the courts, uh, um, <laughs> this is where sometimes I get sideways with some Republicans. Tort, a lot of Republicans like tort reform, and it sounds really good on the surface. But when you start digging in, you, you may be denying somebody their day in court. Right. And that is one uh, principle of our government, of the way it's established here in this country, is that you can have your day in court. If somebody harms you, right. you, ha you can redress those grievances right. in front of a jury, right? Uh, establishing a, a system of justice. So, for instance, I've gotten in trouble in the past with conservatives for supporting the notion that we need public defenders and that if, if somebody needs to redress their grievance in court, that... Uh, we could provide support for that. Right. Uh, I think it's kind of a libertarian notion because mm -hmm. here's the alternative, Leland. You just ban everything. Okay. Right. You can either ban everything so nobody gets hurt, or you presume that people are operating in good faith and you let them do things until somebody does get hurt. Right. And then, so instead of trying to imagine a law for everything and trying to imagine that everybody is guilty. Um, because they're operating in society, so they have to operate under this law. I would prefer to have fewer laws. Yeah. Let let people operate on mutual respect, and then when somebody violates it, maybe there's not a law that says I, I can't slit the tires on Leland Conway's car if the interview goes poorly. Right? right. Maybe there's no law that says that. But if I slit your tires because this interview goes poorly, you can take me to court, you know, because I did I took something from you. Right. Uh, I think you should be thrown in jail if you slip my tires because this it was wrong. Not that that thought ever just so popped in that, my head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I kind of agree with that law that says you can't slip my tires. Well, it's some other law. Like you don't I need a law for everything. Saying. And yeah. so you you settle this in courts. And so that's my take on it. Yeah. Is, uh, but it, wait, how can we tie up? Like, but but oh, just one other quick thing. Yeah. If I may, or else I might slit your tires. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's already sort of a line that's defined for public forums. There's there's jurisprudence on this. Right. Uh, for instance, I'm a politician. Trump's a politician. He banned a bunch of people. He blocked them on his Twitter account. He right. got sued. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, this I do. I do. Yeah, Bevin ago. had the same thing. Governor Bevin. Yeah. Yep. And Trump was using a private account, which he still does. He had it before the government, and he'll have it after the government. But the the court ruled, no, you're conducting official business on there. You're you're you know communicating, so we're going to treat it as an official account. And it, but it's a public forum, right? Okay, and as such, there are only there are certain rules that we have uh, established through court rulings and laws. There are certain things you can ban people for, and and that's it. Right. So, and I've studied this because I mean, there are people on my, I'm a politician, I'm open to criticism, and it's an open forum on my Twitter account. Uh, but if somebody engages in defamation, threats of physical harm, or uh, extreme profanity, there, those are three things that are recognized in the court that you could uh, actually exclude somebody from a public forum for. But, and, when if you just applied that to Facebook and Twitter and said that those you don't get to 
block anybody for any other reasons other than, say, uh, a politician could. Right. Then you're done. Then you're done. Yeah. Yeah. Bec- Maybe that's the solution. The problem is they're going beyond that. They're oh, trying yeah. to edit. Tr- they're trying well, to adjudicate. They're also diving into censoring. They they At the same time that their top executives at Twitter were donating the maximum amount to Biden, they were censoring legitimate stories from legitimate news outlets about Biden's son that would have been hurtful to his campaign. And at the same time they were doing that, they were limiting or, or censoring or marking over 540 of President Trump's tweets and zero of Biden's. I'm sorry, but that's that's pretty damn close to an FEC violation, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, uh, maybe we create different categories for them, and they can either go into the Wild West category, or yeah. they can go into the nanny state category. And if they're going to start uh, being the arbiter of all truth as regards to your health and everything else, then they need to be liable for that. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the case. You're liable if this is what you're going to do. Otherwise, it's Wild West. And pray for, personally, as much as I hate extremism, um, I would rather see who the idiots are. Because when you drive the idiots <laughs> yes. underground, you make them more violent and more extreme. But, so you're getting the opposite the way, of what you want. And it doesn't have to be total Wild West. Like I said, there are already guardrails on political accounts. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Right. That's bottom line. So, all right. I know you got to go. I appreciate you. We went a little long, but it was good stuff. Um, Merry Christmas to you, sir. Merry Christmas, Leland. Merry Christmas to all your listeners. All right. Um, And uh, Happy New Year. Yep. Stay safe, my friend. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right. I love it. Uh, That was a fascinating conversation. And don't you think we need more of that, like, actually just diving in? I mean, I'm sure both of us were just developing our opinions of that stuff as we talked, but that's what discussion is, and we have a very big shortage of it in America today. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks to our sponsor, uh, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They're terrific. We actually used them to do our kitchen when we lived in Crestwood, and I got to tell you, I'm pretty sure that the work they did in our kitchen is part of why our house sold in less than a day. And uh, I would use them again in a heartbeat. And uh, they did a beautiful job on our kitchen, and I miss it. It was really, really nice. They also did our master bathroom. They've got three designers on staff, George, Kelly, and Michelle. Just stop by the hit, the uh, showroom at 6200 Hit Lane, right there on the border of Louisville and Oldham County. And if you're in southern Indiana, Louisville, or Oldham County, these are your guys. Now, if you're a contractor and you need or a do-it-yourselfer and you know what you want and you just need some quality, affordable cabinets, they've got those in stock. Or if you're looking to do a complete kitchen remodel, that's where you want to go in and talk to George and Kelly and Michelle because they're awesome. So make that happen. You can find them on LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. Give them a call at 502-930-3304. That's 502-930-3304. And if you go to their website, you'll see that they offer 18 months same as cash financing. How about that? Pretty cool. So check them out. I am Leland Conway. Thanks again for listening to the Disruption Zone. Thanks to my co-executive producer, Cameron Mills, and uh, to JP Web Design and Dynamics Audio Productions in Lexington, Kentucky. Free download. Thanks to the thousands that pull us down every week. Send this to your friends. Just search The Disruption Zone on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or iHeartRadio's app, and you can carry me around in your pocket. Fresh new episodes delivered directly to your phone every time one goes up. All right, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Leland Show, at Zone Disruption, and on Instagram, at Great Lelando, and at The Disruption Zone. The Disruption Zone. (laughs) 